Good morning. I'll be reading out of Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11, and it's on page 1164 of the, few, of the uh, Pew Bibles, if you'd like to read along. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of the right of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for our brother who's going to be uh, sharing the word, and I just pray that you give him uh, ears to hear and uh, peace, your peace, which passes all understanding to, to uh, just allow you to flow through him. And we pray for ourselves that we would have ears to hear and that we would be touched and changed by the uh, um, word that you've put on our brother to share. We thank you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. That first song, this isn't this isn't a part of the introduction. It's just how <laughs> Christ captivates you. And I need him to hold me together. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that that's the song that we started with. You know, just a side note, and then I'll get started. It's, it's really interesting that, um, having only done this a few times, it's, 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 it's like a new time. Every time I sit down and prepare a sermon, And the tears aren't because I'm scared or because um, I'm nervous. It's because God loves me and he saved me and he gave me the grace to be up here. And it's just, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. I never dreamed I'd desire to plant a church or have an aspiration to plant a church. I mean, I shouldn't be up here. But gosh, 20 years ago, God opened my heart to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. And my life had purpose and, and a complete reorienting of my life. And sitting um, at the church I went to in Seattle, I heard from the pulpit, uh, you know, great teaching and affirming the gospel and and what it means to be a man, what it means to, to follow Jesus. But I also heard about what it meant to plant churches. And that, 
didn't know what that was, but it, 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 it sparked my ears. And so 16 years later, 17 years later, I can't shake the urge. Like, I, I can't shake it. And I've screwed up a ton of times. But, but there's, there's a need for the gospel. There's a, there's a need for the church. There's a need for people to, to know that they're loved by God through the people of God as they talk to them. And so as, as I considered this, um, this task of, of, of preaching today and, and getting, getting into the, the letter of, of the Philippians, it showed me more and more the beauty of church planning that Paul experienced and how he, he loved with so much joy the, the, the group that he was pastoring. And, and it, it kind of it cultivated in me kind of a fresh set of eyes as I consider church planning. Um, so before I, I pray, I just want to put a, put a little bit of context and really head back to last week when Pastor Aaron was kind of laying out this letter and, and laying out what, uh, what we would be studying for the next few months. And, and really it's just, it's being reminded that um, Paul is in jail writing this letter. So jail doesn't stop him to show this joy and love that he has for this, this people. He, he's in a, in a very hostile context in Rome and it's 62 years-ish after Jesus uh, was, was um, ascended. And the, the uniqueness of, I think, chapter four of this letter that struck me is that he just, again, he's, just, he's been rejoicing throughout the letter. And he, and he comes to this last chapter and he says, in great encouragement, in great joy, that, that God's with them, that God's providing for them, that they don't need to worry. And, and that echoes to me chapter, back to chapter one where it starts, where the, Paul is, uh, the Apostle Paul is magnifying Christ to the Philippians by his heart of joy-filled excitement for them and what they're doing as they proclaim the truth to, to Rome. And so I'm going to read again Philippians 3, or 1 through, uh, 1, chapter 1, 3 through 11, and then I'm going to pray. I want to, th I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, I just thank you for this honor to stand before your people and proclaim your word. And I, I ask that I would hide in Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would close the ears of my brothers and sisters and friends, that they wouldn't hear my inaccuracies, that they would hear your truth. 
Holy Spirit, please open their hearts to see more of the magnif mag magnificentness of Christ and his love for them. And for those that don't have a relationship with you, may you do a work today that shows them that they can experience the joy, the joy in Christ. <laughs> Make it so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess you can call me Pastor Crybaby. Um, well, bear with me. Um, so despite Paul's imprisonment, he rejoiced in the partnership he had with the Philippians. He exhorted them to remember the joy they have in the gospel and their affections for Christ. So the main point of this sermon is because we are rooted in gospel partnership, we can experience gospel power as we encourage and pray for one another. And so my aim to communicate from this passage of Scripture is Paul's threefold prayer as he prayed to cultivate joy in Jesus, three, three through five, prayed for perseveration, try that one more time, perseveration by Jesus, verses six through eight, and prayed with great expectancy for Jesus, verses nine through 11. So, pray to cultivate joy in Jesus. Let me set the stage and read a, an excerpt from a, uh, a devotion from the uh, Puritan devotions and prayers, the Valley of Vision. And this is just a small um, part of the devotion that I think really, really sets the stage and just lets, it, lets that, that image and the spirit of Christ just kind of cascade over us. O Christ, all thy ways of mercy tend to and end in my delight. Thou didst weep, sorrow, suffer, that I might rejoice. For my joy thou hast sent thy comforter, multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. So in that spirit, here are two considerations how Paul orients his prayer to cultivate joy in Jesus. He remembers and he recognizes their partnership. As Paul addressed the saints and overseers with the deacons, he did this in such a personal way. He remembered them. And really, you have, to, you have to go back to the book of Acts, chapter 16, to see the, 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 the inception of, of the church at Philippi and his interaction with these, these uh, individuals that came into his fold. As he was giving prayer meetings, one example was Lydia, who was a, an affluent woman. She heard the, the message of salvation and, and came to faith. He was, she was baptized. There was the, there was the demon girl who um, was chasing Paul and Silas around as they were moving from one prayer meeting to the next. And finally, Paul's like, ah, in exasperation, and he casts out the demon in her, and she believes. And then there's the Roman jailer. So because of, of their, um, of what they were doing, of what Paul and Silas were doing, causing a, a ruckus, they were thrown in jail, but it didn't stop them from celebrating Jesus and, and worshiping Christ. So in the stocks, they're singing and praising 
and, and the Holy Spirit falls on the jail and it, it kicks open the, the jail cells and it kicks open the, the stocks and the jail, the jail cellar or the, uh, the Roman jailer, he's, he's at it wits in and he's about ready to take his own life and, and Paul says, no, no, don't do that. He goes, well, what do I do to get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and he did. And so here's the church. Here's the beginning church of, of Philippi. And so I can only imagine that at Paul's in jail, he's, he's thinking about these people and what happened to them and how they, they began in a partnership with him. And, and I think that, that really was, was stirring and, and marinating in this rejoicing that he was communicating to them as he remembered them. And the second consideration is drawn out of the first. Paul has, has a, he's, he's remembering them and, and he's seeing that the gospel partnership is a result. And I think it's, it's, it's poignant to read chapter 1, verse 27 to you. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see, Paul, Paul didn't want a perfect church. He wanted a unified church of one mind, one spirit, one Christ together, working together for one mission. And I, I think it's important to recognize that this was an eternal partnership. So in verse 5, we read, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. You see, the Philippians that started the church began a faith in Christ at that moment. God saved them and immediately they became partners for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul's, he's, he's recognizing this. He's remembering this. He's seeing that this first day until now and for eternity, we will be partners for the gospel, for the fame and name of Jesus. And so Paul was celebrating in jail the work of the Spirit in the lives of the Philippians as he remembered them and celebrated and recognized their partnership. And this really, this rejoicing, I, I, I believe, was coming out of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a life that he lived and breathed directly with his relationship that he had with Christ. But I think for some of us, we don't, we don't tap into that. Because I don't know if we really find rejoicing in suffering and difficulty. Our circumstances take over and we get joyless and we get stuck. I mean, if you consider the moment of history, what we're all encountering, we're going to be in the, history in the history books. We're in a pandemic. And we have to wear masks. And that is causing so much contention between us as Christians. And you have, you have the, the one side saying, I'm going to wear a mask. This is what, my, it's what the government says. This is what the health officials say. This is what it means to be a neighbor. This is what it, I want to be safe. I want to be a good steward with my body. And then you have the other side that says, no, I'm, I'm, I have my own right to make my own decisions. So I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm not getting into mask wearing here. I'm just saying that Christ saved us for unity. 
not for deliberating on who's right or who's wrong on wearing a mask. The disagreement sucks our joy and we can't have unity. And so we're not acting like Christians. But here's a verse. I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with the endurance that the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that's, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and a seating at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look to Jesus' joy as he faced the cross for our sake and our sin of being disunified over mask wearing, for example. And our reactions, therefore, are not dictated by the circumstances, but by Christ. So our anger is transformed to adoration because Christ is beautiful. Our sadness is transformed to joy because Christ is our comforter. And our vengefulness is transformed to victoriousness because Christ sets us free from sin. In Habakkuk 3.18, it reads like this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's where we want to be. And I've experienced this joy, but I only experience it through repentance. <laughs> I've used this illustration a lot because it's just, it just punches at my heart. I have four sons. And each time they were born, I lifted them up and I said, Lord, use these boys to make me holy. Don't use them to make me a perfect father. I can't be that. But use them to make me holy. Use them to, to let me recognize my sin against them and against you. And let me turn from my sin of yelling at them, of being a jerk, and saying to, to them, I'm sorry, forgive me, and responding to the love you have for me. And I have some gracious sons, very forgiving. And I want them to be dads who do the same thing. See, that's joy. That's joy we can have in Christ. It's swelled up love that's from God. So Paul has instructed the Philippians through his prayer to cultivate and joy in Jesus. He's saying that to us. But then the prayer is, is essential for preservation by Jesus. So for Paul to pray that the Lord would preserve the church, he took a pastoral stance with two truths. Truth one was an encouragement from Paul that God was faithful to them during this time. Now we know God is faithful to his promises and we know he's faithful to his provision and his love. And those are definite true examples. But in this case, God is faithful to preserving his people by Christ's resurrection power. 
before I get into that, I want to just define preservation in a biblical sense. And so I went to a super smart guy, much smarter than me, Wayne Grudem, biblical scholar. And his definition reads like this. Preservation. God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Water will act like water. Grass will act like grass. But a saint will act like a saint because God saves them in Christ and will preserve them this way. They're not going to be sin-free. They are going to sin, but they're forgiven because that's what God does. And Paul gave such an encouragement to the Philippians when he said this in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it forth to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He is adamant with this claim with utmost uncertainty. I am sure of this. So the work that Jesus accomplished in the Philippians was a good work and would continue to grow them with purpose. That's that purpose that I was mentioning earlier in my intro. And I love the way that Psalm 57.2 echoes this, is I cry, out to the God, uh, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So the Philippians were blessed with an assured preservation by Jesus, giving them purpose for their lives, especially as they suffered for the sake of the gospel. In verse 29, we read, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And I ask the question, how can they suffer? Well, back to the resurrection power that I mentioned earlier. If you go to chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, Faithfulness to Christ comes from the righteousness of God that depends on faith. But this is what I want you to hear. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This was, a, this was a defining moment for Paul as he realizes that everything is out of the resurrection power. So it's God's power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. And it's God's resurrection power that sustains the Philippians as they suffer for the sake of Christ along with Paul. And so as I, sum, as I sum up truth one, the Holy Spirit preserves these people through saving them, maintaining their salvation, and protecting them even to the point of suffering. For truth two, Paul communicated that he loved them. In the spirit of, of love, he loved them such that he used the words, I love you and I hold you, with, hold you in my heart. There was an intimacy and a connection that Paul had with Christ and in this love that flowed from God to Paul, flowed from Paul to the Philippians. And verse 8 is, is an exclamation point for this set of scriptures. It says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And what I found really interesting and exciting, and I'm, and I'm just thinking of, of us, that the church at Philippi responded to Paul's love, to God's love for them, 
with, with action and deliberateness. deliberateness. They contended for Paul, with Paul for the sake of the gospel. They prayed for Paul while he was in, j- in jail. They brought him things to help sustain him. That's the church working together. So then as we take these two truths, we can circle back to the faithfulness of Jesus is an outpouring of his love that becomes the eternal preservatives for God's people. Unfortunately, though, the world sees faithfulness and love upside down to God's way. And here's one example that's particularly saddening. In an online article posted by social media in 2016, they write about the modern pandemic of narcissism. They claim that today's young people are more likely to present with this disorder of of personality, uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And I found that really interesting. I mean, one can experience this as you scroll through Facebook and Instagram. I mean, if you, if you canvas the, the social landscape, I think we can, we can answer the question why this is the case. And as I observed this, this is what I, I came up with, is that today's Western culture is framed around the individual. It's the illusion that I have the power to keep myself right, realized, and real. In other words, I create a life filled with my ideal self. So they post selfie after selfie on Facebook and then are waiting for the likes to put in their spiritual bank account to give them some worth. But when that bank account empties, they do it again and again and again. You see, it's, it's faith in a vacuum. When we worship ourselves, when we idolize ourselves, we never will be satisfied. It says here in Colossians, Paul brings the same idea that people will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And I had to do a, I had to do a check of my heart. And if you're honest, you might do the same, is that we get caught up in this behavior. And if we're really honest, we might even agree that it's exhausting because we feel vacant, we feel empty, because we can't maintain, we can't preserve ourselves. And we we even might find ourselves not being really good enough. But God wants you to reorient in Him because He sees you as good enough. The Gospel of Luke records in chapter 9, verse 24, for whoever would seek to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. So when we behold Jesus on the cross, we encounter, as the psalmist writes, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It is that moment where we are swallowed up by the love of God. We are swallowed up in a new identity in Christ. And we see, he sees Jesus and that's our identity. And as I think of an illustration of, that, of God's love and that swallowing up, I, I work at a restaurant and in, in the, on the patio there's a, there's a delightful little brook that, that passes by as diners enjoy their dining experience in the summertime. But in, in the March melt, 
the, 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 the brook becomes a river. And it just, it's just powerful. It just engulfs the rocks. You can feel the air and the mist coming up. And one might think of it as, as so much power of nature. But as I, as I think about that, I think about it as God's love engulfing us. The, the, the river of God's love that just engulfs us. That we can't control. That, that he just, he takes over our, our, our beings with his love. We are swallowed up uncontrollably. And it's in that love that we experience God. Habakkuk 2, 14 sums up this illustration. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we transition to the third point, Paul prayed with great expectancy for Jesus. See, Paul cherished the Philippians as he prayed for their joy and their, and their preservation. But in this final script, this set of scripture, Paul prayed expectantly for them to per persevere and grow in their faith in Jesus. He does so by affirming obedience and trust as important intertwining themes addressed here. So I'm going to read 9 through 11 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So just as going back to our context, Rome, busy, hostile against the gospel. There are other preachers preaching out of rivalry and envy. They're preaching a false gospel. They're getting acclaim. There's, the Philippians aren't 100% polished. They got some issues that they're dealing with. They're grumbling. They're dealing with issues. And Paul, he wants it to stop. He wants to stop the quarreling. He wants them to see that they're following an inaccurate gospel. And so he draws them back to prayer and a word from the Lord. For them to trust the reassurance they have in Christ, we can look back to verse 6 as a seatbelt verse that seatbelts us into verse 9. Verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it forth to completion in Christ Jesus. So that's the verse to seatbelt us into chapter, uh, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. And so Paul, he's praying with precision. He's praying with intentionality. And here are some points that I, I want to I share that I think are hopeful outcomes for for the Philippians as Paul was praying for them. Number one, a posture of trusting Christ pointed them to an increase in abounding love for one another. Number two, a response with obedience comes by knowing the will of God for their lives and discerning a godly behavior to a watching world. And number three, an obedience to Christ sets a just and sacrificial way to live that is counter to the culture that they were living in. And the result, the result is to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, all supplied through Christ Jesus.
I mean, these are, these are for us too. And as I consider this prayer, it echoes a remembrance that God in his powerful gospel pulled these saints out of darkness into light. God didn't view them as rebellious enemies of, of himself, but rather as sons and daughters, as friends. And this prayer offers a hope as they locked arms and contended for the spread of the gospel, even when they were called to suffer. For me, as I, as I let this prayer of expectancy wash over me, I keep returning to the question, what is the Lord for my family as kingdom builders? For me and my family, on the one hand, I feel so equipped and underdeveloped to even consider planning a church. Yet, I'm, I'm, I'm fastened in by the seatbelt verse. For God who completed, who completed a good work in me will bring it forth to completion in Jesus Christ. So I look to the Spirit of God as a major player in my life, and I look to the minor players of God to pray for, to help lead me, help pray for me, help guide me as I consider this, this task of planning a church. And, and it is true that I, I can't I can't be a church planner. I can't even consider planning a church without first belonging to one. And that's where Cornerstone comes in. I belong to you. We all belong to Jesus, but we belong to one another. So I belong to you. You belong to me. We're, we're partners together in the gospel. We're to lock arms together as the Lord wills moving the mission forward as, as a church, a local church here in, in, um, in our, little, our little state. And it is, it is up to you and it's up to Cornerstone as you partner with me to really assess and affirm or deny whether or not I should be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor if that's not what God wants for me. I mean, it's, it's been hard not having a community of God, a, a community of faith. And, and, in, and you know, a, a year ago, I was trying to put together a core and not to pull out all my dirty laundry here, but I confess that I wasn't very kind to putting together a core group. I wasn't being a Paul. I was being loveless. And there were times where I just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want their, their issues. I didn't want the people's uh, things that they were dealing with. What are you going to bring to the table? And then the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, listen, you don't bring a thing to the table. I bring everything to you with my son Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're loved despite ourselves. In spite of us messing up, we're loved. Which I guess even gets me more excited about maybe I can do this if God's going to love me that way. But it's a recalibration of my eyes off self and on Jesus. And that's what I want for us. So here are some closing observations. Perhaps some of us lose sight of the greatest gift we have as children of God. We lose sight of, of, of finding our worth and fulfillment in Christ and we put it in empty things. But don't settle for emptiness. Embrace Jesus. 
To put it simply, Christians, not specifically church planners or pastors, we need to pray for one another that we would cultivate in our hearts the joy of Christ. That we would be, we would be praying for that for one another, for ourselves. And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to this joy. I invite you to experience for the first time the overflowing love of God and the joy that we have in Christ. Become a partner with us. Get a new purpose. As I exited a plane in 2004 to meet my wife's family for the first time, I disembarked the plane and, and when I got off there was a, my spirit was unsettled. There was a sense that there was just a gospel dehydration here in New England. I didn't have categories or words to explain it, but I knew that just something wasn't right. It wasn't, I wasn't experiencing what I was experiencing back home. But as I'm here, and I think about the DNA of what it means to be a gospel-centered church, that's what I want to see for New England and what I want us to embrace and move forward in. And it's no doubt the Lord is using Cornerstone and East Randolph. It's evident. And I pray that the Lord uses us to lock arms, to push back darkness with the light of the gospel and more people would come to have a, a, a new life in Christ. And if the Lord wills for me to be a church planner, so be it. But I just pray that I remain faithful and I finish the race strong. And so I'm asking you, remain faithful. Ask the Lord, help me remain faithful so we can do this together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We need you. We need you. We need you. This is your church. This is your mission. And Jesus is our object. <clears throat> we ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts to keep us <clears throat> faithful, that you would help us respond in repentance, not as in guilt and shame, but as, as freedom to turn from sin to you, Jesus, to turn to your forgiveness that you have for us, to turn to others that we sit next to and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, let us be changed and let your name and fame be known. Help us, we need it, in Jesus' name, amen. And again, would you stand and join us in singing?